It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. And hello, everybody. Uh, here we are again. It is Thursday, and our little community of IO practitioners, HRs, recruiters, and the rest of us who just like to help people uh, and build a better business world. Uh, Jeremy. We've got a topic today of how to reserve tension in a work team. Is that right? Reverse. How to reverse Reverse. tension in a work team. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like you reverse the letters in order to get the reserve. (laughs) Well, maybe we want to, let's just continue on. So so let's talk a little bit about tension and and, and why can even be positive? Because usually tension is something I try to avoid, Jeremy. So, yeah, and that's one of the things that we'll talk about is fear of conflict. So there's a, you know, the American Institute of Stress, I'm reading some numbers here. 14% of workers felt like striking a coworker in the past year. 10% are concerned about an individual at work they fear could become violent. 10% of workers said they work in an atmosphere where physical violence has occurred because of job stress. Um, and in that particular group, 42 reported that yelling and verbal abuse is common. 29% yelled at coworkers because of workplace stress. And the last number here is 18% of workers experienced some sort of threat or verbal intimidation in the past year. I'm also going to add something that I just, I just, my jaw dropped. I can't for the life of me. I read this last week that 20 to 30% of employees fantasize daily about murdering their boss. And this was from an actual survey like from a from a from a notable place and i saw that it's 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 interesting because i'm looking you know preparing for today and i'm finding all of this stuff about the like the more severe tension i didn't have that i didn't have that in mind you know when we started when we went to create the topic my my frame of thought was kind of the tension that just makes for an awkward environment like the film of tension where you don't really like someone I wasn't thinking about all this. So we, I guess that gives us, um, you know, two different ways to, to, to look at it. Um, and I'll have to open up my lens a little bit to, I guess, what they call reality based on, based on, these, based on these numbers and what that is. So uh, 
this will be uh this will be a banger today i'll let everyone know we just put episode 76 out tom so tom said tom myself and sarah sarah smithberry get together once a week and we do a podcast called the trio and well it's 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 work i'm sorry it's work cookie but it's just titled the trio and then it has the title because it's, it's three of us and we did this week we did uh we we found some some information on employees being surveilled in the workplace if you're working remote. And we just put part one of that podcast out. I got to tell you, that's one of the most, uh, you know, off the hinges podcast that, that we did. There's so much energy and excitement. So check it out. And then part two, when that, when that comes out, when that gets edited down, it's a little more laid back, but you'll, you'll learn about some things, uh, you know, like with zoom and it's pretty, it's, it's pretty intense. It's pretty nuts, but just pretty, we're pretty excited about that. But if you work for Amazon, don't listen. <laughs> yeah. They will never sponsor our podcast journey. Uh, and so let's move on. And yeah, maybe this is about Amazon and talk about this tension in the workplace. Because how many times in the last year have I turned on the television, watched the news that somebody, you know, wasn't take your kid to school or kid to work day it was take your gun to work day. And we're seeing these violent incidents. And when you dig deeper, you're finding out that it's about the relationships that are going on in that organization. And that is kind of the extreme end. But yeah, there are people who, you know, want to do away with their boss because, oh, what a wonderful world it would be. But most of us are walking around in a lot of organizations, and there's at least one person who provides us with some stress or tension. Quite often, it can be our manager, but that is just, you know, from my point of view, that's just the way it goes. You know, it, it would be great if we could eliminate that. And I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, but isn't that tension effective at times? Yeah, of course, there's there's positive, there's positive tension and that can create, you know, it's just like there's positive conflict. Tension is um, a precursor to that. So there's. When you when you look at it, I think that there's we talked about this before, right? There's there's really three kinds of people, and I always mess this up. There's there's mean people. Those are the ones that you want to work with because you know exactly what they're thinking because they tell you. Those you know you that's the difficult customer that you come across. You know if you're in hospitality, those are the if you think about it really, those are the easiest people to deal with because they're upfront with their feelings, their emotions, and what they're going to do. Um, there's nice people who are, who will, you know, just go along with it. Rules and procedures. Fine. Uh, if, if that's how it has to be fine. And then there's weak people. The weak people are the ones that you fear in terms of like, you know, and, and we're not going to, we'll probably get off the topic of violence after this point, but, uh, that, that, you know, might become violent. They're the ones that hold it in. They're the ones that become vindictive. They'll be nice to your face, but they'll find a way to get back at you. They're the ones that will gossip behind your back. Uh, so, you know, think about those, those, if you have tension in the workplace with a person, how would you define, uh, the, per the, the particular person that you're, that you're dealing with in that regard? Um, but there's, and there's, and it, it all, it all, it, it comes with, and in general, it comes with communication and it comes with finding something about these people to appreciate. And, you know, if somebody is, uh, like, you know, if you have someone on your team and you and you just you can't stand them because they're they're gregarious, they're uh, they're a loose cannon kind of thing. You just change your perspective, right? To they're not a loose cannon. We just need to provide the right target for them for, for that person. 
to, to get that energy out and, and help the team. Instead of this person um, is always complaining and, and yelling at me, it's okay. This person helps me hone my, my debating skills. So, you, you know, you can, you can start by, by changing your perspective and, and none of this is natural. You know, none of the things that are really going to be effective are actually natural and reversing tension. But the key part is to find something that you appreciate. And if you really don't appreciate something about someone, you know, that that can be. But when that happens, see if you're maybe you're setting your standards just a little too high, being a little too, um, you know, barriers in front of you yourself and a lot, lot to get to today. Well, let's, let's talk, you know, maybe let's get a little bit more on target here. Uh, let's talk about teams and teams working together. And, and yeah, it does cause a lot of tension. You know, dates are coming up. We need to get things complete. Um, a lot of stress, a lot of tension. But you're actually talking about reversing that. So how do I reverse? Is that the tension you're talking about reversing? Or maybe we go to Ariana. She might be able to explain this to me better. Ariana, you go. Definitely. This is definitely a passion area of mine. So I did years of research and occupational health psychology, how to understand workers' stress in the, pl- in the workplace, obviously. So I, first, I want to talk about your question about, you know, is tension helpful? And what we see is it's actually, we think of anxiety kind of as a part of that tension. What we know about anxiety and performance is that it's a U-curve. So with very little anxiety about your work, you're not that motivated. <laughs> if you have no, like, you can be motivated by mission or other things, but even that could be seen as like an excited energy to like get started on your work. So when you have like that middle ground of anxiety where like you have this intention to do it, you have motivation, hopefully you're excited about what you have to do, then you have optimal performance. You're in a sweet spot of being at the right place, of having energy towards your tasks, but not being overwhelmed. And then when we have those high levels of stress and anxiety, that's when we see that dip. And I think that far too often we're operating in that space in the workplace. And I often take a more systems view of stress at work. Often it's the structures of the workplace, the expectations of the workday. I think it was Jeremy last time that said, I thought it was an interesting point he made that sometimes it's not a problem of employee motivation. It's an issue of barriers in the workplace and organizational constraints is the word we often use in the occupational health psychology lens of having these barriers to getting your work done and having that cause stress. And then like you were saying about supervisors, there's like hierarchy and the actual leadership skills they have, plus the stress of your leader. (laughs) And are they in a position where they have a full-time job plus managing a whole team? So those are many of the ways that I have seen stress come up in the workplace. And then I'll be done after presenting one more thing. One other framework that is really helpful, I think, for understanding workplace stress is called the job demands resource model, which is taking stock of the type of demands that are in the workplace. This can vary by profession. So if you imagine nurses have a lot more emotional labor to do, and so do service workers. Or if you've got a very mentally challenging job, you might be mentally. And then the other component is resources. So how do we alleviate the specific job demands of each role and provide time and space for recovery as well. Well, let me ask you, because, you know, it's interesting as you're talking, because a lot of people will talk to me about, you know, I get so nervous when I step on stage. You know, you're a professional actor. I bet you don't get you know nervous or feel that anxiety anymore. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, and that that's just actually a positive thing because it can give us energy. 
And actually, you know, it will give you a better performance. But in the work world, how do I distinguish between those two? Because I know there's times when I've had a really active day where I feel energized. And there's other times when I'm going home and I just want to crawl into bed. So, so is there, you know, do we have to define those as well or, or know something about what's positive and what's negative? You know, I think that's going to vary for each person, right? Like ideally, I definitely support a strengths-based model of work where our daily tasks support our strengths. And ideally, they are energizing. So if you're the type of person that likes to be in front of a crowd presenting (laughs) material, then that hopefully will be good. And then maybe what impacts your day-to-day is like the audience reactions, how you're, you know, the rest of your team performed, things like that. I mean, sometimes a long day is just a long day. I think what we are concerned with when we talk about stress is when it's chronic and becomes what we call strain, where day in and day out, you're coming to work, feeling this stress. If it is too prolonged, it turns into burnout. And very often in the workplace, we're not allowing time for recovery. There's this absolute performance and relative performance that we can consider when looking at our expectation for employees. And too often we expect employees to be all hours, 100% performance when that's not necessarily realistic for our bodies and minds. So providing that time for recovery is also really important. Yeah, it's sometimes the the one thing that really does get missed. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you next. And then Lee, we're going to come over to you. One of the things that I'd like to bring up for consideration is that when we look at teams, we have to remember is that teams are made up of individuals and those individuals come with different personalities, different capacities in terms of their emotional intelligence, their intellect, their personal lives, whatever may be happening with their personal lives. Everybody has good days, bad days. So it's important to pay attention to that and recognize how the company as an entity, the organization um, has to have some kind of interaction responsibility that comes as part of this whole picture. When you look at things like culture, what is the company culture like? Does the organization provide some kind of training for uh, skills that allow people to deal with stress and tension in productive ways? right? We talked about the extremes of violence and things like that, but tension is an everyday thing potentially. So does a company simply assume that everybody is um, mature and capable of handling stress and conflict and tension? I think that would be a wrong assumption. We have all kinds of people within the workforce. So the company has to come into the picture at some point. And again, culture, what's your culture like? Is the culture allowing for clicks and, and, you know, kinds of little um, stress promoting events and, and things to be there? Or is the company culture such that it promotes health at the workplace and proper ways of handling stress and tension? So we have to look at the bigger picture and remember that teams are made up of individuals and individuals are all different and special in their own ways. It reminds me of directing at a rehearsal and working with all those <laughs> different actors. Um, but let me ask you, because, you know, I'm, I'm old enough now that I remember a, a business world where 
oh, you can't handle the stress? Well, you better resign and we'll just find somebody else. Is that changing? And are we seeing organizations where those elements of culture are really becoming important and they're not just replacing the individual, you know, like opening up a new stick of gum? I think it is changing. I think it has changed. Gone are the days, well, theoretically, let's say, gone are the days where your boss is the boss and you do what they say and that's the end. And if you don't like it, there's the door. I think we live in a society that is trying to be more sensitive, is trying to be um, a little more aware and realistic. And the other part of it is we live in a society that is also so happy. So <laughs> you have to be a little bit more aware of what you say to your employee and how you act. There may be consequences that perhaps 20, 30, 50 years ago weren't there. It's like that old insurance motto. You can pay me now or you can pay me later. <laughs> Lee, let's go to you. You know, there's, man, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, you know, one thing that I think a lot of people discount is just that stress is necessary the if you don't have any stress we know we, we don't move you know but there's a difference between the stress and de-stress so you have to have some motivation to, to overcome the inertia the problem is obviously when you get too far um you know but one thing that you said really keyed on me tom the uh uh i was watching an interview with simon sinek and he was talking about going on stage to talk to people and he said you know you talk to people in, in like uh, like a sports event. You see somebody who just won a big fight or something or, or getting ready to go out and you say, well, what did you feel? Well, I was excited. You know, what does that mean? Well, you know, the pulse was up. They were sweating. They, you know, the, the all these things. And then you ask someone else, well, you're getting ready to go up on stage and give a TED talk. Are you nervous? Well, yes, I'm nervous. Well, what does that mean? It means your heart rate is up and you're sweating and all this kind of thing. They're basically the same reactions. It's the perception that's different. And so if you can change the perception to where those feelings you interpret as excitement, it can change the way uh, it, it can turn a stressor into something that's positive for you. Um, and I know that I said than done, but it is, uh, it is significant when you change the way you think of things. I, and, uh, and I think that, that Darth was so right with this, you know, Sue happy society that we're in. Um, a lot of things that were, are changing in, in industry, they're being dragged kicking and screaming, but it's changing because they have to. And uh, also right now in the last couple of years, the great resignation or reorganization or whatever you want to call it. Uh, well, you're not going to treat me well. I'm going to go somewhere else. And there's, uh, there's a lot of that going on right now. And a lot of the younger generations don't have that long-term job um, loyalty well, they're going to have a problem with jumping ship and going somewhere else where, you know, in previous generations, you slogged it out, you stuck with it, you, you went through. And so you put up with a lot more mistreatment um, that the, the younger generations just won't tolerate. And uh, which is really important to remember, you know, as you, as you go into management, you manage different generations and understanding the motivation and demotivations and all of that. But um, I do think overall, there has been a great uh, strides made for emotional and psychological safety and health. A lot of companies are offering uh, employee assistance lines and uh, you know things of that nature. Like my, my wife's company has one. It's completely anonymous. The only thing the company gets is we had four people that called. That's all they get. But you can, 
you know, the only time anything happens, it's same, just like with, with uh, counselors or whatever. If you say you're going to kill yourself, they're calling 911. I mean, but beyond that, it's all confidential. And, you know, that's that was unheard of, you know, years ago. And, right. and even in the military, you know, every base has a space that has counselors that aren't tied to their chain of command. You can go and talk to them. Every clinic has behavioral health people. Um, I know I personally saw differences in the way people thought. Not a lot of that's because the people, you know, retired. But, you know, I got somebody who's having issues. I send them to go talk to somebody. Right. And the only thing that I care about are, are you okay? And uh, and I think that uh, uh, the whoever it was that said it earlier about being individuals. Yeah, you have to manage individuals, you know. Because ultimately, managing teams is managing the individuals, and you have to know them and know know that they're okay. Um, well, well, Jeremy, let me bring it back to you now because I'm <laughs> I'm sensing a disconnect. Where yes, business is getting much better at you know assisting their employees to deal with stress, to deal with tension. At the same time, <laughs> you know, going back to that podcast. 80 to 90% of them are spying on their employees. So it seems like, you know, on one hand, we really care and can, you know, we have concern about you. Oh, but by the way, we don't really trust you. So there's a mixed message here. Um, what's going on? So I'm going to hang on that, that part of trust and I'm going to bring it back to actually how, what are some actual things that we can do to, to reverse this, this type of tension and what individuals can do. So individuals, you might have tension with someone that you don't particularly trust it might be helpful to say, look, here are the people I have tension with, either whether it's tension when they walk in the room or I just I can't stand this person at all. But put, you know, there's there's maybe a couple of different categories that you can figure out. One might be who do I have tension with that I, I really want to like? I can imagine us actually being friends, but we just don't get along. Then there's the people who who do I have tension with? And I don't want to like them. I think they're a bad person. I don't want to like them. But I guess given the right circumstances and an apology, that kind of thing, if we can find some common ground, maybe I can. And then, of course, there's the there's no way, you know, unless a meteor strikes us right now and, and, and knocks us senseless the right way, it's going to happen. But there's it's 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 that it, it's having that particular communication. Part of me think I mean, there everyone's going to have their own different way. I mean, I, I just I have this vision right now as we're talking Two people that really just don't like each other sitting down and say, all right, we're going to do it. And I'm not suggesting this, but hey, who knows? Anything could work. Two people sitting down and saying, all right, we're going to do the I hate you exercise where it's like you're just going to say, I hate you because and you know, I hate Tom. I hate you because X, Y, Z. And you say, Jeremy, I hate you because X, Y, Z. And we do that for two minutes. And at the end, what's left but to sit there and laugh about it. Right. So, I mean, there's 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 ways to do it, but it all starts with communication and one way. It, it starts with courage, you know, courage, because, you know, that fear of conflict, but tell, you know, it, it's getting all the negatives out of the way. They, like Tom, if you and I had, uh, had conflict, I would totally make, try to make some stuff up here. I might say, Tom, I'm looking for some help. Uh, there's something that's been keeping me up at night. There's this weird tension between you and I. Uh, you think, and I'm just going to say everything out loud that I think that you feel about me, because I'm going to, I'm going to make it about you, not me. Cause if I make it about me, it's not interesting to you. Yeah. Eh, well, you know, so Tom, you feel that I have, you feel that I'm, I'm, I'm always at meetings late, like 15 minutes late. And you feel like uh, I make, I make things, um, things that are important to you. I gloss over, you might, you share something and 
and I'm not going to make excuses, right? I'm going to say, you think I don't care about that. You think I, I talk over you. You think that the ideas that you bring to the table, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm just going to stop talking. And because all that is going to be something for you to process. And it's also going to be emotion for you to kick in. You're going to have a variety of emotions. You're going to, cause you're going to go up and down, but the only emotion you're not going to feel is defensive because I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just coming to you. The first thing I said was I'm asking for help. So that already put, that puts you into helpful instead of defensive mode. I'm not accusing you of doing anything, but I'm a certain way. So it's almost like an inherent apology and it's a step forward. I've taken away everything because I could sit here and say, Tom, you know, I don't know if you noticed the retention, the, the, uh, the tension between us. Do you notice it? And then it's like, OK, well, this is awkward already. So there's a there's a way to go about it. Um, and then you can start to and then you, you might say, yes, that's right. And then we can go from there. And I might, I might have to be, you know, do some brutally honest things and be brutally honest with myself. And in there has to be an apology. And I also have to, you know, I should know at this point, you know, what kind of apology works for you. There's different types of apology. Um, some people are good with, I'm sorry. Some people require an, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen again. And here's what I'm going to do so it doesn't happen again. So people, have, you know, it, it's a different apology, right? So there's a way to sit down and, and do that. And it, yeah, I, I hate the answer of, well, it depends on the situation because that doesn't help anyone. All it means is, okay, well, so there's really no answer, but and sorry, not but and that is an idea to start to get us to thinking um, be, about being the first to trust, being a little bit vulnerable. That the key is really try and have some fun with it. It's make it a little bit of a game for yourself to challenge yourself and make it a, a low stake situation for yourself. If I fall flat and I don't make any headway leading this conversation. I'm in no worse place than I was before. And I tried and I'll be, I'll get better the next time. So there's always going to be a next try. Tom, you've got something to say. Well, I just wanted to pose to you the same question I, I posed to Dr. Martha of, is it really getting better? I mean, are, are companies actually listening and want to help their employees or are they just, you know, <laughs> replacing them as soon as they fall? I think, and I think our has something to say on this. I, I think companies are getting better. Many are getting better because they have to, because they can't, they can't help it. That's just, that's just where it's going. And once the, uh, all that energy and that noise and that momentum goes, goes to, we need to focus more and more on the employee experience. More and more companies are becoming employee centered companies rather than customer centered, customer centered companies are, it's kind of like, Oh, so you're not really with it because they realize that employee centered companies, when you take care of your employees, your employees are just going to naturally take care of your customers the best they can. So you, you, it's you know two birds with one stone type of deal. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. 
that's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Ariana, let's go back to you. Yeah, I think this is an area like many others right now, kind of similar to leadership development, where I think a lot of companies know what they should be doing. But I think the practice and implementation and also resources for stress prevention are not always present. So they might be like, of course, we value the employees, but we're very busy, you know, and I think that that can often be an out and we prioritize productivity and busyness still more than we prioritize employee stress management. I also think we see this with the mental health conversations happening right now. I think we're still trying to acknowledge that we are all on a spectrum of mental health at all times. And I will disclose personally that when I get very stressed and overwhelmed and have pervasive days of, you know, perhaps a client's unhappy, and then I have more projects than usual, like my, there's a decline by Friday. Like sometimes by mid Friday, my brain is fuzzy. I'm feeling out of it. I'm not thinking straight. And I think that's hard for leaders to acknowledge. And I think that we see that in the workplace. So here's kind of a concrete example. I went into one company working with a virtual reality mindfulness provider. So it's this very innovative eight minute session where you get virtual reality mindfulness, pretty engaging. Um, A lot of people don't like to sit and do mindfulness, but it's a lot easier when it's in a gamified approach. Eight minutes a day, three days a week was the ask, right? Like you think that's pretty small. And we had huge turnout. We had like did a kickoff luncheon and there was food and lots of people buzzing. We had three sessions and part of it was to do a data collection. We were curious if we could quantify the reduction of stress with this platform. And I showed up, I flew in actually and showed up for the closed breakfast where we catered breakfast in and I was expecting to have a full room. And out of the two sessions we held, three total people showed up and I got 11 people to answer the questionnaire. And when we were talking about it, it's just countercultural to corporate America right now. Like people felt like a little bit embarrassed to go take the time away, like other people were working harder, you know, it's just a disconnect in the psyche right now. And I heard that from the people, they were like, people were embarrassed to show up because they didn't have enough time because they didn't do it. And I think we see that a lot where it's not actually the priority, like we say it is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, You know, (laughs) I wish everybody in the business world would listen to you guys. but they seem a little deaf. And, you know, once again, it does come back to the communication aspect, which, you know, Jeremy, I'm sure we will pr- try to get into today. But Linda Ann, um, I'm, uh, I'm really waiting to hear what you've got to say on this. Go, so go ahead. Well, I think that as companies become more aware of what they, quote, should be doing, um, it's fine for them to put something in place, for example, as an EAP. And EAPs have been around a long time. I, I was... 30 years ago, I was marketing EAPs to, you know, companies. And, but even today, and even the the human resource people that I talk to, when they're faced with a specific challenge, and I go, do you have an EAP there? Well, yeah, we do. Um, And (laughs) it doesn't occur to them to utilize it. And it's not, so there's, there's a real breakdown in not only that you have it, you know, that awareness, but how they use it. You know, and what kind of a tool it can really be. So it's fine to provide services, but people right now are, there's a real gap in, how do I use it? What benefit does it provide me? And um, 
yeah, let's make it part of our everyday life because mental health is part of our everyday life. And I don't know how many times I've gone through training sessions where I was just forced to go through a training session so the company could check the box, you know, so that, yes, we have provided training, but there was no follow through. So how do we move that forward? How do we get, how do we get organizations to listen? And and I'm wondering if this is part of the problem. You know, most leaders are like me, at least age wise, and you know they might have a little bit of gray. They're older for the most part, um, and you know you can see a real difference between you know leaders my age and leaders who are in their 20s or 30s. Their view of what leadership is is totally different. Uh, and I see people my age starting to awaken to this notion. Um, I was um, at a a speaking engagement yesterday with uh, a professional speaker who's about my age. And she was telling me that, you know, her cleaning staff one day asked her, what time do your employees show up? And she's like, oh, heck, if I know, (laughs) you know, they get the work done. Um, And, you know, if I had to show up on, you know, at a certain point, or if I made them show up at a certain point of time, uh, they'd make me do the same thing. Uh, And so she's just found this great way where everybody gets the work done. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of stress, but that's not the norm. And and maybe, you know, people my age have something to learn from those leaders who are up and coming. Um, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I think that oftentimes change comes from necessity. When what you've been doing is no longer sustainable, people are no longer willing to do it the same way then you have to change. You're forced to change. And I think that's what we're seeing. We have, for many of us on this call, grown up in in this um, culture that is so prevalent in the Western culture where you work yourself to death and you wear it like a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. And the generations that have followed looked at us and said, you're insane. I'm not interested in having a heart attack at my desk because... I'm not interested in that. Now you have this great resignation. And I think that's what's going to help bring change into reality. It's one thing to say, okay, we provide this and that, and we're checking off the box and we have some training, but there's no real follow through. It's not part of the culture. It really, it's just lip service. And then you have to compare that to real change. So I think real change will come as part of necessity when the new up and coming managers are bringing a new way of looking at things, a new way of managing people, a new outlook on things. That's when the change will really start to get rooted into reality. Until then, we're in a transitional period where we've seen the old ways of doing things for so long that it's difficult to change. When the dinosaurs start to go away and the new kids take over the power, that's when the change will start coming in. Because now I'm hearing people who said, well, these new kids, they just, they're lazy. They don't want to do anything. Now the same people are saying, these new kids, I think they've got something there. So a change is coming. Oftentimes it's slower than what we'd like to see. Here we are, we're looking at this from our own our own perspective as psychologists, as IO psychologists, the rest of the world, they're not IO psychologists. They're looking for profit. They're looking for sustainability in terms of their business. They're looking at their competition. We're on the backside of somewhere in their daily experience, if at all. So I think 
we have a different lens in which we view the situation. But the reality is that change often is forced into place and it comes in stages. It trickles in. Do you, because one of the things I've noticed is that the relationship is now becoming, you know, something of value where that relationship that I establish with my employees, you know, we've talked to an economist who they're changing the way that accounting is done. And those relationships are out now can actually be placed on the balance sheet. So do you think that's part of, of the change and, and that will accelerate it? I think so. When we look at, um, we talked a little bit about back in the day, you got a job, you started in the mailroom, you worked your way up, you worked in the same place for your whole life, you retired, you got a gold watch and it was great, right? And we said, but these new employees, they have no loyalty to their employers. Well, the reality is that the employers don't have any more loyalty to their people. So why should we expect the people to be loyal to the employer? But I think from that turmoil now comes a realization that it's about the relationship. Because if you do have some kind of a meaningful relationship with your workforce, with your individual people there, they are willing to be more loyal. They are willing to stick it out and do things and take care of the customer and make sure that things are done properly. So it's almost like we're coming around. We went from this idealized back in the 50s, that's how it used to be to nobody's loyal to anybody. It's just everybody for themselves to now realizing that, you know what, people do business with you or people do things for you because they have a relationship with you. It can no longer be, be um, um, we're all keeping score and, and I have to get as much as I can get from you. And when I can no longer get something from you, I'm moving on. <laughs> I've ridden that horse until it's dropped dead. Time for a new horse. Lee, That's let's nice. go to you. Oh, man. Um, yeah, you are so right that the uh, change is so often forth. And we give lip service. We want to change. We want to do things better, but we really. And I, I, to tell you, the it, it's interesting because one something that, that Dr. Martha just said that really kind of, you know, the, the difference between the relational and the transactional, because we go through these cycles. Because I can remember, um, we used to have a mechanic that we went to. That this guy, he's been owning, he running the shop since the seventies, and from the day we walked in, he he created a relationship. You know, he worked with us. He he explained what was going on. He worked to to get us the best deal and all this kind of stuff. And so we kept going back because we had that relationship and there was that trust, and so that bred the loyalty. But then, you know, he retired, as people do. And somebody else bought the shop, and it was totally different. It was very transactional. It was, you know, they didn't really care about us beyond what money we were going to give them. And then, you know, the nickel and diamond and all that kind of stuff. And so they lost money because we went somewhere else. You know, and it's it's interesting that we're kind of coming back to a lot of these younger generations that are wanting to do the relational uh, type stuff that we haven't been doing. I mean... You go into a local coffee shop and you walk, see people come in who go there all the time and they know the baristas and they greet them by name and or, uh, you know, your favorite restaurant where people go all the time. And we were coming out of the gap of that because I can remember as a kid with my parents who were in that same kind of age group that we went to the same place and people knew us and, and there was that relationship, you know, and then 
through, you know, my generation, a lot of that is lacking where we, even if we go to someplace regularly, we don't necessarily have that established relationship like they did in the past. I mean, this is, th- today's been so enlightening. I just want to go ahead and put that out there. Right. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> but the, well, uh, well, let me ask you, Lee, because as you're, you're saying this, it's like, for, to me, it's, do we need to bring that small town mentality to the corporate world? You know, I would argue yes. Um, and if you look at, at our country, the vast majority of businesses are small businesses. And, and you know, the mega corporations are, are, are just a, a small bit. And the, the primary employers in this country are small businesses. And, you know, if you can establish those relationships, that then you have people that give repeat, repeat business. And, you know, they may not have as big a, a you know, a, a transaction amount, but over time they have more transactions. I, I think that that is absolutely the case. And I know I personally have walked into places that, you know, they didn't care I was there other than the money I was spending and I didn't go back. I found somewhere else. Um, and, and it's, you know, and maybe I'm just strange that way. But, you know, when somebody takes the time to invest something, you know, saying hello, how's it going? You know, was the traffic bad on your way here? You know, I mean, just just little things like that that show that there's some kind of connection between us other than the fact of, well, that's going to be 1947. Said cash or charge. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I'm out the door. See you later. Um, you know, I, I really think that that because I mean, I, I mean, if it's not obvious, I grew up in a small town, and uh, you know, now that I live in a fairly big city, there is a huge difference in the way a lot of that goes. And the further you get out, you can see that culture change. But I'm also seeing the same kind of changes between the generations. Um, you know, I had a, I had a, you know, my last active duty station, I had a, a younger, you know, woman that worked for me that, man, that relationship, man, she knew everybody. And, you know, I need to do this. Oh, I know who does that. Okay. You know, <clears throat> for me, I didn't figure out who people were till I needed it. And it, it's just because that's my generation, I guess. But her, she, bing, boom, boom, she knew everything, you know, everybody. And while, you know, my perception originally was, well, she's just wandering around, not doing anything. But then the reality is when you say, hey, I need to do this. I got it. Five minutes later, we got an answer. And we were like, it was very eye opening. You were like, wow, um, maybe I'm doing it wrong. And and, uh, you know, who was I think it was Tom said about the, the generations um, just in the time in, in you know, my, my career in the Navy, watching the older guys and mostly guys uh, retiring. And all of a sudden, things were like, if only this happened, it would be so much better. If only this. And no, 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 no. And well, then these people retire. And then the people who've been saying this start moving up. And then things start changing. And, uh, you know, so I think that that's very valid. That is, the dinosaurs become extinct, as it were. You know, you know, the next group comes up. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, the, what we said about change being forced the last two years, you know. I rest my case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they, they talk often that, you know, we were headed to a world where online or hybrid work was going to be happening, but the pandemic has probably accelerated it well past a decade now. And I think it's also accelerating this type of change as well. Ariana, let's go to you. Definitely. I agree with a lot of what Lee was saying. And I think that a key component of This conversation is the investment and allocation of time. I think that is what I've seen is the missing component. And to be honest, I've been that person in the workplace before, back when I was in an office that 
was a social person, you know, like maybe I would spend an hour and a half of my day in total talking to people. And there was kind of some judge, like I would find myself sometimes in the lunchroom, like the only person eating lunch away from my desk. And so I think investing the time in these things is part of the whole movement that we're going to have to do. Just like with the stress management intervention, it was like, well, I don't know that my leaders and organizations support me taking this time away. And so before we make that shift, I don't think we're going to be able to see this. But I think the other thing that I think want to add to that is in the modern day business world, I think we have such a one-to-one with time and productivity when things like relationship building, stress management, culture, these are strategies. These are long-term investments where your time has a payoff down the road, perhaps not today. Just like Lee was saying, the increased efficiency comes later. The things that I knew about our organization because I was close with the person in marketing came down the road. And if we don't invest in that on the front end, it's going to be too late later. One other thing that I want to just put up in the conversation, because Jeremy earlier said some things that we can make this a little more actionable, is to add the framework of types of prevention of tension. So um, in the stress management world, we often use this framework of primary prevention, secondary prevention, and tertiary prevention, where primary prevention is organizational leaders considering all the ways that the organizational is structured that might contribute to stress. So levels of workload, going back to organizational constraints, maybe even types of technology that might be needed to augment jobs. Secondary prevention is that whole stress management realm. Okay, we can't prevent all chronic stress from occurring. Can we give our employees resources, whether, and that can be a huge spectrum, whether or not it's access to nature, time for mindfulness, you know, like just more flexibility, micro breaks, all of those things contribute. And then tertiary, I think is where we started the conversation where it's so severe that it's like people are hospitalized. There's been violence in the workplace, things like that. So I would say, I would recommend we encourage more primary prevention and secondary prevention. Yeah, that's probably a really good idea. <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go to you. I have a, a couple of things. And one, one goes to what Ariana was saying. And that was <clears throat> when I looked at the topic for today, you know, my first instinct was not only do we, how do we reverse it, but really what's the actual cause of it? Where is it coming from to begin with? Because if you just put some a layer on top, you're not going to, it's not going to go away. Um, so you have to really look at what What's the etiology? Where is it coming from? And address it at that level, uh, first of all. Um, the other thing, too, with regard, especially with regard to what Ariana had explained as far as that company that she, you would work for and you had three people show up, I think one of the things that need to change is the leadership mindset. It's, it's really do as I do, not as I say, right? right? Because if they are not willing to show the example, then people are not going to believe that it's okay, as you saw, or that it's important. And so they have to show, lead by example. You know, that's a, it's a pretty old adage, but it's very, very effective. And whether they, if they wanna change behavior, then start every meeting, first 10 minutes is X, and that's your priority. You know, I've seen things happen within organizations where if they wanted to affect a certain change and have a certain outcome, everybody in the organization stopped at a certain time. And for 10 minutes, they did X. And that was from the top down throughout the building. So that it's got to be that kind of a commitment. And if people are looking for 
whether or not, you know, they're paying attention or prioritizing their employees' mental health and, and things like that are, are valuable. If you have an engaged employee, which is one who's really, you know, locked into what they're doing, they are 20% more profitable for you and about 50% less likely to leave your company. So if they can't buy into that, then what, how, how committed are they really? At the same time, I'm going <laughs> to play devil's advocate, but at the same time, you know, if I'm a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, the role model that are, you know, the, the shining example that's held up to me, especially by my shareholders, is the Amazons of the world, where, you know, I, you know and I, I, I'm as bad as everybody else. I want my packages delivered the next day, too. But when, you know, you start to hear what's really going on, you know, in those facilities, it, it, it takes me back to, you know, in my teen years when I started to hear what was really happening with animal testing. You know, it, it really seems toxic. So how do we change that mindset amongst leaders that while a company like Amazon may be incredibly profitable, it's maybe not the model that you want to follow? Well, yeah, I mean, and, and Amazon hasn't been around that long, really, right? So they're not they're not that completely mature company and they're seeing kickback already, yep. you know, and they don't have a good reputation as um, for employees, you know, and- But if I, I'm and a shareholder- I've known that for a long time. And, and that was my daughter who was, is a, was a business major in college. She wouldn't have, she wouldn't even think of applying to Amazon because what she knew and what she had learned about Amazon. Right. So I, you know, I, you have to choose what your, um, <laughs> what your role model is, you know, do you really want to go down that road? And, and I'll give, put one example, one anecdote. My mom, my daughter sent me um, a, a screenshot and it compared how workers feel about their work from in Europe versus us. And it said, something to the effect of, you know, a European worker will tell you, I'm going to be traveling the country for three months. I'll see you in September. If you need something, I'll return your email then, right? Versus someone in the US, <laughs> they need kidney surgery and they're on their, their gurney waiting and they're on the phone with you, right? So there's this huge difference, differentiation and prioritization um, and just how we look at, look at it and, and, that's where the millennials, millennials, those kinds of things, they have that other perspective. And I think it's about time. Yeah, <laughs> I agree too. Uh, Ariana, let's go back to you. And then Christopher, good to see you. We're going to come over to you. Yeah, I was definitely going to say something similar to Linda Ann, where I think company brand really does matter nowadays. People want to feel like they work for a company that is a good company. When you're talking about attracting high quality candidates, the perceptions really matter. We have much more transparency these days. Glassdoor is a huge resource and people do look, you know, and when you think of Fortune 500s that people want to work for, how long has Google been atop of that list? You know, like all of the amenities that they provide their employees. Obviously, they probably have a level of income, you know, that differs from other business models in the way that they can collect profits. So that might contribute and it might not be realistic, but when you're trying to emulate someone, I think that most CEOs these days are more likely to look at those types of companies um, in comparison to Amazon. Yeah, agreed. Christopher. 
<laughs> yeah, it seems to me, and I could be completely wrong, that when leaders start seeing their employees as the resource that makes them successful, that's when things start to change. Because using Amazon as an example, I don't think we're going to see Jeff Bezos delivering your packages, Tom. <laughs> um, a lot of companies <laughs> without their employees are nothing. So that's when things start to change, when they start seeing their employees as the reason why they're successful. Oh, <laughs> I keep wanting to, to start seeing what a wonderful world it will be. And I think we are yeah. moving that direction. You know, let, let me ask you, Christopher, because we've, we've both been around a while. Um, how long do you think this change, like in five years, is it going to be a totally different world? It very well may be, or we may be on our way, right. but it very well may change because employers are starting to wake up and see that without my employees, I'm nothing and I'm not going to be successful. And Google does that. They, as Ariana was saying, they offer their employees special perks. They take care of them. They do this. They do that. And that's part of why Google is so successful. Yeah, I think for everybody else, it's, it's a little bit of wake up and smell your employees leaving. Uh, Linda, yeah. Ann, let's go to you. So I think we have to be really careful about who we put on the pedestal as these ideal companies. Yeah. Because when you look at Google, all right, one of the reasons they offer those perks is because their company, their people don't ever leave the office or they don't want them to leave the office, right? right. And you have to look at their turnover rate is very high. Their median turnover rate is just over a year. Yes. And, and so um, people go there for, they may, may know that they might not have a life for a year, but then they've got Google on their resume, right? So where are they coming from? Where are they going to? And are they, you know, is it really the panacea that everybody, that that image creates? I would venture to say, maybe not. And just like, for example, when there was this whole trend to having a flat organization, right? And I, that just made my head hurt because just people flattening their organization, I couldn't figure out how that worked, right? So I did the research to find out who started that word and all this kind of stuff. And what, if you, when you pull back some of the layers, that company did an enormous amount of training for how they wanted this to work. Whereas all these other companies, well, we're just flattening our organization and it's going to be better. No, there were other pieces to that. There are no simple solutions. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, let's bring it back to you because we've only got about five minutes left. Um, where are you taking us next week? Next week, how to lead a team that you don't want to lead is our next one. Uh, yes, how to, how to lead a team that you don't want to lead. Not too far uh, back, we did how to lead a team that doesn't want to be led by you. So we're, uh, we're going to reverse that. And we're going to have some fun with that next week. And, and I just want to talk about Seabock as well, because the Seabock the family and community is growing. And it's not just for IOs, is it? I mean, we've got people who are HR and, and other fields as well. It depends. Okay. So it is for IOs. <laughs> we, we do let in. As I'm far not an IO and I'm. <laughs> as, well, as far as far as the so as far as the experts, established experts. Yes. You know, there, there are there are a select few. And that's what I mean, Tom. You're a select few. 
uh, of other of other types of uh, of, of experts. Any, anything that you know, like um, like Devin Delmonico, right? She's senior VP of a uh, very very large firm, and she's in because she can do it. She does a lot with, with helping us understand those types of, of processes, and she's also on our Pathfinder Career Expert team because who better to help people with resumes, job hunts, interviewing skills, and those kinds of things, and really knowing all of that. So as far as the the, um, the IO Pathfinder, that's strictly for IOs and IO careers. As far as the the expert memberships for people looking to build their brand, be uh, seen as um, you know a, a boss quote boss in their field. Uh, yes, there there are a select few that are not IOs that we let in. Um, in your experience, because we, we've sort of brought this conversation around to the company and that the company needs to see the value in this. In your experience working with multiple companies, are, was there anybody that, you know, if we, if we don't want to use Amazon as our model, and maybe Google's not the best choice other, who is out there that maybe we should be looking at? It's, I don't, you know, that that's interesting because a lot of the studies that I look at, you're not, you're not knowing what the specific companies are. A lot of times that's going to be masked anyway, because the researchers aren't even allowed to put that information out. It's usually a condition of some of the research that they're not going to disclose any of that information. So the closest you can get is, you know, technology company in the Northeast, right? With, with maybe a, so you, you're not, you're not going to know. You can make your guess, but you'd like to be wrong anyway. So as far as the companies that are models, I, you know, I tend, I tend to see a lot of startups really that are, that are in this entrepreneurial model that are doing a really good job. Because they're the ones that are encouraging the innovation, they're encouraging the flexible work hours, they're um, really looking at that different the the the, the I say odd talent, the um, the special talents and passions and abilities that 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 the individuals bring, and they're really focusing on that, allowing people to work in their strengths, but also, hey, what are some really good development areas? So I, I really like these entrepreneurial companies. Um, you know, and it, it's not like, hey, it's been around for two years and it has, I mean, you know, 10 years, it's still an entrepreneurial company, right? Right. So there's a lot of interesting ones out there. Um, and quite frankly, too, if you find a company that I'm, no, you know, all, all kidding aside, if you find a company that employs specifically IOs for IO work, that's a company that you likely want to work for because yeah. those IOs are there for the very reasons that we talk about every single week here together. And they're hiring IOs because they know, Right. Um, so that's what I say. I did want to leave with two, with uh, three quick things that uh, people can do um, to help reverse some of that that tension within teams. One thing it's it's called you know you it's called a jigsaw puzzle activity. It's based off of if anyone remembers from their psych 101 classes back in the day, they did these jigsaw puzzle activities with kindergartners to help different kindergartners from all from all uh, all kinds of kindergartners work together. Get some kind of activity in the workplace that two people who don't like each other have to work on. They want to, they, they both, each of them is needed in order to do that. So this person's skills needed, this person's skills needed, but they're both passionate about this, but they can't do it without each other. If you want more on this, there's something, just Google Eagles versus Eagles and Rattlers psychology experiment. There's also something very cool there too. So that's one way to do it. The other thing is a new leader assimilation where uh, any kind of new leader that the team may be apprehensive about, you have someone that's facilitating and you know you guys can contact me if anyone's interested in doing this, but more or less you have a leader that's out of the room and you, you have your, your whiteboard up and you say, what are your, all your preconceptions about this new person coming in? 
this is how you can prevent some of that tension. And, and what are all the, all the fears that you have? And then the leader can, can come in, look at the board, really get some insight and a lot of punches in the gut, hopefully too, and address all of those. And this can be done not just with new leaders, but current leaders who are the problem child of, of the team, perhaps based kind of like, a, you know, hey, let's get a blank slate going on. The other thing is we've talked about this before. There's a whole uh, podcast episode on it. So go back and listen to it. It's called a psychological contract, but don't call it that in the workplace because it'll scare people away with the word psychological. Call it a communication pledge. And uh, that's also a good activity that you can do. Great for teams, great for individuals, great for anyone new coming on, new relationships. Um, and, you know, I, I can I can help you out with that, too. But the podcast is really all you need to learn more about that. So I wanted to offer those two things up. Tune into the podcast. Uh, Linda, I see you have your hand up. Do you have a final thought for us? Yeah, I just wanted, if people really want to find some really solid companies, if you look up certified B Corp companies, they um, have to, in order to become certified, they have to pass these criteria. They're evaluated against them. And, and it's based on, you know, how they're treating their employees, how they're communicating to sustainability, all these different aspects that really are very socially um and, and employee-oriented. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, great discussion today. We started with gun violence, and we ended up <laughs> talking about certification. Uh, Jeremy, it's been once, a great pleasure once again. Uh, thank you very much, Christopher and Lee and Dr. Martha and Ariane and everybody who contributed today. Uh, please come back and see us again next 30 and Thursday. And please, if you want to join the conversation, just raise your hand and we'll bring you on stage. And with that, Jeremy, you want to count us out? Uh, yes, quickly. Crystal sent me, a, I can't type that fast before we leave. Crystal, send me a LinkedIn message and I'll get you what you need. And yes, next week, five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.